0: friends i'm olivia and i'm katie and we are podcast by proxy welcome
1: we're
0: well, live two pretentious dipsticks here to shoot the <laughs> shit with you
1: <laughs> i'm fine with being a dipstick isn't that oh. what you used in a fun dip
0: yeah, I loved a good fun dip. Uh, yeah, we got a oh, review. Or like baby
1: bottle pops. You had to like, same concept. I think these are all, you know, I think dipstick was, well, I use that all the time in my everyday language, so.
0: Yeah, I'm not mad about it. We, <laughs> Me neither. For everyone wondering. We got a review. They called us pretentious dipsticks and I just decided to run with it because, <laughs> uh, you know, gotta you got to take the good with the bad. It is what it is. I would just like to know what about us made us sound pretentious. Well, I was thinking that I was like, wait, what? Even if you were listening to like earlier episodes, I don't think I have ever uh, considered myself knowing what I'm
1: doing. Like, unless someone took it seriously, like maybe the way we used to like joke about like iced coffees and like first world right. problems, kind of. That's okay. Come on, pretentious yeah. dipstick! It is. We grow our dipstickness gets smaller if you keep (laughs) listening so
0: i don't know man i think i just keep trying to be a bigger dipstick
1: (laughs) (laughs) i (laughs) let my dipstick fly free with hello
0: welcome back to podcast by proxy for anybody that's new i am olivia i'm katie
1: i don't know why that sounded so upset i'm (laughs) katie
0: (laughs) i just felt the need to say that because um Our podcast promo was featured on the Dark Poutine podcast last week, and as with the Chelsea Poorman episode, I noticed a pretty large uptake in listens after Mm -hmm. that promo went out, so we don't always introduce specifically who we are, aside from our, like, original intro, so I just figured I'd get that out of the way. Welcome. If you're enjoying the podcast and you don't think that we're dipsticks, or maybe you think we're awesome dipsticks please leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. And if you leave a review saying that we're amazing dipsticks, I will literally send you all of my love and stickers and I might marry you. And a sticker. Because I think that that would be really awesome if we just took it and ran with it. Um, so, yeah, that's just getting that out of the way off the top. Coats um, my goats.
1: My computer just gave me another weather warning.
0: Ah! Well, I am happy to report that my computer is recording my audio. Because if you oh my remember from last week, I had severe audio issues, but we're back. It's all good. Do you have Windows 11? I
1: don't know. Okay. No. I have Windows 11, and when I open my little, like, side panel, it's like, do you want to grow a virtual tree with us? Oh, my Go gosh. And grow a virtual tree with the weather network.
0: No, I do have Windows 11. Oh. It, well. And it over says my that little... I'm up-to-date. Yeah,
1: when I, like, hover over my temperature, my widget th- thing slides out. This is riveting content for everybody else. This <laughs> is, like, teaching your grandma how to send an email. <laughs> anyway, we can stop this. We're going to be in person tonight.
0: Yeah, Katie's literally coming over. You can show me the temperature gauge. I would love to plant a tree with windows. We can plant I've a virtual
1: tree together. Pl-
0: planting so many trees. I actually also started a plant Instagram page just to, like, share all of my plants a with people who care. Because I, I, I've been, like, really wanting to post my plants, and, like, uh, I like to follow well, your plant pages and stuff like to that. get, well, and to get, like, tips and tricks, and, like, I was reading, I was watching a reel this morning of, like, somebody was showing, like, this is the, all the signs that your plant has been overwatered. So I just really wanted one place for all of that. I'm not trying to become, like, a plant influencer. I really just, like, wanted you one hub You should
1: follow, uh on instagram her account is grow with Jessie, and okay. she like shows
0: you how to grow any kind
1: of like seed into something or like how to start something also yes. i'm sorry for anyone who hears the crunching in the background my dog has a bone
0: our animals pretty frequently join the podcast that's a pretty regular thing around here we've stopped caring so if you are sensitive to like audio little things going on in the background if you like just a really clear crisp our pretentious
1: moment, pets are also
0: here our pretentious pets are with us and that's just we're a chill vibe here not Totes. pretentious okay uh we could just hop right in today i think we've covered all of the nonsense off the top that we didn't need to talk we'll about. get the rest
1: of the nonsense out when we're
0: together later yeah i just want to make sure i didn't have anything else just listen to my page flip for a moment No, I think that was it. I did just want to mention Dark Routine. Thank you so much to Mike from Dark Routine for sharing our promo on his uh, show. If you've never listened to Dark Routine, what are you doing? Go check them right. out. Canadian True Crime. He's been around the block for a while. Mike wrote a book. Um, we met him at CrimeCon. He was really awesome and like just <laughs> so grateful that he was willing to work with us. So, thank you so much to Mike, and if you're here uh, because you listen to Dark Routine, welcome. We're so happy to have you. Uh, I did have one other thing, and I am stupid and already can't remember. Oh, uh, I thought everybody Happened. would... Uh, there's going to be a lot of people who have heard of this case, especially because Morbid actually covered it last year. It was an Ash-centric episode, if you're a Morbid weirdo. Um, so, you might already know this one, but I actually like rediscovered it I have to share this because I feel like you'll laugh. I was reading Reader's Digest.
1: (laughs) Oh, here she comes, people.
0: No, that's literally it. I was reading Reader's, Reader's Digest. I went to my friend's house to host it, and I literally brought my Reader's Digest that had something to do with Canadian Unsolved Mysteries on the front, which those just always pique my interest, so I grabbed them. And my friend's like... How old are we that you're showing up to my house for a weekend of house sitting with a Reader's Digest? And I was like, yes, it's not the TV guide. This is 30. So, yeah. While I was flipping through my Reader's Digest, Unsolved Canadian Mysteries, I re came across the case of Melanie Etier. Good job on the pronunciation, too.
1: Sorry? Good job on the
0: pronunciation, too. Thank you. There's going to be a few French words in this um Simon in this episode so Simon if you're listening please don't cringe while you hear me I'm doing my best I think so we'll just get right into it whatever Melanie Nadia Etier she was born on Christmas December 25th 1980 to her mother Celine Etier um some people pronounce this Celine I'm not sure if it's Celine or Celine so we'll just go with Celine uh, and yeah, in French, the pronunciation
1: is like Céline. So, oh, it's, so yeah, maybe it's, Céline then. It's just the way it's pronounced in
0: French, but Céline is just us butchering it. Oh, okay. Well, of course it is. Uh, so she went by Mel for short. Her father was actually from Botswana in Africa and met Céline while attending a mining school in a nearby community. Um, During her pregnancy, he was relocated to another school and then eventually had to return back to Africa once his schooling was complete. So he was never really in the picture. Um, But by all accounts, it doesn't seem like there's any like bad blood or anything between Celine, Melanie, her father. Um, In fact, Melanie actually told one of her friends at school that she was hoping to travel to Botswana, where her father was from, after high school graduation to work there as a teacher. Oh. So okay, she, so definitely no negative attachment to there. No. Celine and her family had moved to the town of New Lisgard, Ontario when she was only six years old, and she stayed in the area her entire life, which is where she raised Melanie. Uh, now, for context, uh, at the time, so our story takes place in about 1996. New Lisgard, Ontario had a population of about 4,000 people. Oh, she's wee. She's very small. Um, the town is now actually unincorporated, and it was included with neighboring townships Haleybury, Diamond, and North Cobalt, and is known now as One City, Temiskaming Shores. Okay. So they kind of just like amalgamated all of these they were like, little kay. towns into One City, and that, that took place in night uh, 2004, sorry.
1: It's like when you make four quarters into a loony. Correct.
0: That is yeah. exactly okay. it. Yes. New Liscard uh, at the time was located 157 kilometers northwest of North Bay, Ontario, and the town sits at the mouth of the Wabi Creek. Uh, so Brandon, my partner, is actually from Ontario, and I asked him, like, do you know where New Lisgard is, or do you know anything about Temiskaming Shores? And he had literally no idea what I was talking about. And then when I showed him the map, he pretty much said, like, anything north of Sudbury, you don't know where it is. You would no- you'd have no reason to go there unless you lived there or, like, you were going there for work or something. He was like, people don't know about anything north of Sudbury in Ontario. It's yeah, like apparently
1: a- northern Ontario is, like, really beautiful. And it's somewhere, like, amazing to drive through and stuff like that. But that's about it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So remember, shout out to Scott. Do you remember when Scott said that he was going, or when Scott went to North Bay for work? Yeah. <laughs> and he said yeah. he was going into the going to the middle of nowhere, northern Ontario. He was wholeheartedly telling the truth. He was in North Bay, and that's and where we're talking about is 157 kilometers north of that. So Jesus. this is like really in nomad's land. And he just, already you,
1: said there was nothing to do in North Bay.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's just really good to keep in mind as we continue to tell the story. It really stuck out to me when Brandon said, like, you, there's no reason to like, go you there. Like, d- you don't go there. You don't yeah. go there. Um, so it's just interesting. I feel like it's probably
1: pretty similar to, like, the very top north of any province here, though. Like, yeah. a lot of people are like, oh, past here, it's just forest
0: yeah like you don't go there unless you like <laughs> specifically want to move there to like farm or something well, you're going, or, like, or you can work or there or, or yeah it's not a touristy it's an adventure place no you're going for an adventure yeah oh in 1996 Melanie Etier was a 15 year old girl she was known as very bubbly with a good spirit she hung out with a good crowd she was great in school she was responsible um, it's also important to note that Melanie was one of only three black girls in New Lisgard. It's a just very white community.
1: Yeah. Sounds like it. Okay. That's got to be tough.
0: Yeah. Her mom, okay. Celine, said that she was like a second mom to her little sister, Jessie, who was five years old in 1996. And Melanie was an honors student at Here's Where the Butchering Comes in, Simon, École Secondaire Catholique saint Marie, That's the school. École
1: Catholique Saint-Catholique. What was it?
0: École saint- Secondaire Catholique saint Bury. École
1: Secondaire saint In my Catholic.
0: really ugly okay. English accent. That's fine. <laughs> uh, Melanie worked at a daycare called Garden Richelieu, which was attached to the school and would open... So she would go and open the facility early in the morning, she would go to school, she would come back after school to help the younger kids off the bus, and then she stayed until uh-huh. evening close. So it was kind of like a daycare after school program, I think.
1: Yeah, it's like almost like their babysitter program or like stuff like that. You're
0: just like a after school aide. Yeah, and her mom worked there as well, um, and then she was also taking college courses in Sudbury. Get it, girls. Yeah. On the morning of September 28th, 1996, Melanie went to visit a close friend of her mom's named Sylvie and her six-year-old daughter, Stephanie. During this visit, Melanie broke one of her nails, which caused her to become quite upset, and Sylvie thought that this upset her more than it normally would because her family was having financial troubles, their car had broken down, their phone service at home had actually been shut off the day prior due to non-payment, which, like... Teenager in nineteen ninety six obsessed with being on the actual home phone because there's no cell phone, so that would have already it been was like, like the upsetting. Straw that broke the camel's back as a teenager. You're just like, nah. Yeah. So she ends up leaving Sylvie's, she heads downtown, she runs into her best friend outside of the public library, and
1: Girl.
0: this friend has remained unnamed all these years. So going forward, I'm just gonna refer to her as either Melanie's friend or her female friend. Okay. So this friend of hers had been Not doing her homework. <laughs> this friend of hers had been doing her homework in the library and decided to ditch that, of course, to stop and hang out with Melanie for the day instead. Classic, Yes. Obviously, get it, girls. Have fun, YOLO. So the two of them, they go to Pizza Pizza for lunch. They then stopped at a shop and picked out a cake pan and supplies to bake a cake because it was Melanie's grandma's birthday the next day and she had been planning to make the cake for her birthday.
1: Aww. I know. and I'm How just... wholesome. They skipped school to go get stuff to make her grandma a cake, though. Right?
0: Like, That's come her. on. She was very responsible. Like, she was a good girl.
1: She probably still got her homework made up for the class she missed. Like, it was
0: NBD for her. She was yeah. good. So they also head out to a house in the nearby township of Diamond to pick up money from someone Melanie had babysat for before. They eventually meet up with uh, a couple of guys, Melanie's new boyfriend, Neil, and their other friends, Dave, Jay, and Ryan. So it's five of them in total. Okay, those are like such 90s boys' names. (laughs) Dave, Jay, (laughs) Ryan, Brad. I'm just kidding. Love a good Brad never met a brad i didn't like it's true (laughs) neil described melanie so neil is her melanie's boyfriend now keep in mind they're 15 Mm -hmm. and they'd only been dating for a couple weeks so like that kind of so held hands maybe kissed a few times correct yeah well wait what were you doing at 15 nothing exciting okay I'm okay. sure a lot of other people were. They're probably rolling their eyes being like, you... If I learned anything about being a teenager from Stranger Things, it's that I was wildly underperforming at the age of 14. <laughs> so, just saying. The fuck? is Underperforming. Like, these kids are like 12, making out all episode. What's going on? Okay. Uh... It was the 80s. I know. So, Neil, Melanie's boyfriend, describes her as being in a great mood that day and that night. Uh, The group of them, they stopped at the town's video rental shop between 9 and 9.30. They rent a couple movies. They head over to Melanie's place to watch them. So, they get to Mel's and she tells Celine that they're going to watch movies in her room. And her mom is like, "Uh, your room is a disaster did you have a messier okay mom 15 uh it was always messy i was gonna say like you couldn't see the floor of my room when i was oh yeah and if
1: my mom told me i had to clean it before i could do something that's when you do the whole like shove everything under the bed where you sit and just slide your feet under your bed
0: and push everything you're like i'm done i'm going out i was the rebel that was like nobody else can even see it why does it matter and she's a- like,
1: You're having a friend in your room. Do they have eyes? You're like, Shut up, <laughs> <out>, mom. <laughs> ah. So
0: basically that's what her mom was getting yeah. at. And <laughs> Melanie wasn't upset at all though. She just kinda laughed and was like, Okay guys, let's go and they just went and watched movies somewhere else. Like it wasn't a bone of contention or anything. It was just like, Oh yeah, you're right. we they probably were just like, Ah, oh, fuck do it. That. Is yeah. your room clean? Ah, oh, let's go to your house. Yeah. So, Céline, at this point, she says she she did something she hasn't ever done before. She actually walks the group of them out the house and watched them leave. Like, watched them walk away. And she even says on this mini-documentary... Is like a bad gut feeling when they leave or something? Like, she's like... I don't know. She, she says like on this... like a premonition? Yeah, the Ontario Police, the OPP, they put out this mini-documentary video on the case. And on it, she says that she was like... Standing there watching the kids walk away and even went to herself like, what am I doing? So
1: no, that's to just don't trust that feeling, Mama Bear. Right?
0: That's just weird, right?
1: Yeah, it is weird. I agree. But yeah. I could, I've caught myself doing stuff like that where once you're done, you're like, what was I doing that for?
0: Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it's always, yeah. Because uh, okay. this is a super small uh. town. These kids are like walking around going from house to house all the time. Like this is a very normal occurrence. I did that. Yeah. So the group, they end up going to Ryan's house to watch the movies, and they arrive there just after 10 p.m. Ryan, of all people, has a clean room. I've never met a Ryan with a clean room. Ryan has a basement where they can watch movies. Oh, jealous. Yeah, the parents are sleeping upstairs. The kids are downstairs. Now, this is a very (sighs) PG hangout. Like, there's no drugs. There's no alcohol. They're literally watching a couple flicks and, like, eating some chips. Yeah, they just hit up
1: blockbuster, and now they're just... This is is a good group of kids. There's no mischief Uh, going on here. Yeah. Okay, that makes me sad because I feel like
0: it's going to go downhill fast. Yeah. So this house is on Pine Street East. It's located approximately, it's like a 10 to 12 minute walk or six blocks from Melanie's place. According to everyone who was in attendance, like I said, they all watched a movie in the basement while Ryan's parents were asleep upstairs and they consumed no drugs or alcohol. Um, and investigators believe this to be the truth.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in a small town, especially like this, you kind of know all the kids. And yeah. you're like, no, they're good kids. It's fine. And I get we shouldn't let it give people a pass because they're like the good guys or we know their parents. But I can vouch for this in a small town. It's
0: common. Yeah. You know who the bad seeds are. Yep. At around 1230 a.m., Two of the friends, so Jay and Melanie's female friend that she had been with all day, they had to get up and leave a bit early because, um, so the female friend, she lived in nearby Haleybury, so she had to walk to where her ride was going to be picking her up to take her home, um, and I'm not sure why Jay had to leave, but they both had to leave a bit earlier than the movie was ending. So they both leave at around between 1230 and one separately. Now, later it comes out that Melanie's female friend actually says she noticed a suspicious vehicle approaching her slowly as she crossed through an intersection when she was walking from this house to where her ride was picking her up. And she says this vehicle scared her enough that she actually started to run to where her ride was. Oh, okay. Now, according to Ryan and Neil... Melanie left Ryan's place to make her walk home between 1.30 and 2. Normally, Mel would actually call her mom or her grandparents for a ride home. Um, but, of course, oh she God. was unable to do this because the family home phone was not working due to non-payment. And it also just seemed like such a short distance. Yeah. So Six blocks? Yeah, it's not too bad. She couldn't call home. It was pretty close. Like She was kind of like... She should have
1: got one of the boys to walk with her or both the boys that were still there to walk with her. Yeah,
0: so her boyfriend, Neil, walked her to the door and watched her walk down Pine Street and around the corner. But to this day says his biggest regret in life is not walking her home.
1: Oh, I bet. That poor kid. Yeah. And And like, like, man, now,
0: like, and he got so
1: much hell for that from he's a 15 year old boy, right? Like, come on. Also, you're still at your friend's house and your friend's there. It's like you're literally caught between a weird situation. You make the best call you can for 2 a.m. Like, jeez. Yeah, like in hindsight,
0: I think it would have been smart if they all just walked her home if it was that close. Like the guys could just go on a little 2 a.m. adventure together. Because I can see like, oh, I don't want to walk back by myself. But I don't know. We're not even going to. There's no fault there.
1: No, that's just a buddy system remark. It's not that these guys did anything Mm -hmm. wrong.
0: Yeah. According to the interwebs, Melanie's route home, <laughs> well, you know I'm all about the Google Maps. So I of course <laughs> googly Google Maps this. So Melanie's route home would have taken her through three intersections across the Armstrong bridge, past a gas station and an apartment building, uh, either up a back alley or along a main road, and then finally to the top of Church Street where her house was located it feels like there should be
1: a lot of CCTV footage along the
0: way. 1996, though. I don't care. So there was some, and police have said that they've reviewed it, but we'll kind of get there.
1: Ugh, okay. Yeah. That's never good.
0: So one of those first three intersections is where her friend said that she felt she was being approached by a suspicious vehicle. Yeah. So, like, before the bridge. Okay. Okay. The Armstrong, okay. Yeah. And then it's also noted by her friends that she preferred to take the back alley when walking home usually. So just... Not at 2 a.m., ladies. Yeah. I don't think any of this route was very brightly lit, so I don't know that it really would have mattered. Okay. It's very important to note, though, that the Armstrong Bridge is the only part of this route that would have been brightly lit. And is also located on the main Highway 65, which is the main highway in and out of town. So, like, Armstrong Street is Highway 65. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does for sure. Because I just think of Duncan, like, our main drag is is also the the highway highway. in and out of town. Yeah, so totally. Exactly. Yeah, that makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah. So, it would have been reasonably busy even late at night when she was walking at this time. Yeah, it's a major highway. It's a commuter. It was also noted in my research that there would have also been a pretty good amount of natural light in general because apparently there was a full moon only two days before this. Oh, so yeah, if the sky's clear, it's going to be...
1: Moon be real bright.
0: Like, beautifully lit up. Yeah. Now, also note the bars in Ontario closed at 2 a.m. in September of 1996 and... There was a bar close by called Docks on Armstrong Street, which is just up from Pine Street and is obviously the same road that that bridge is on. So she would have had to like walk on that road. And there's also a bar on the same road. Um, just so just so keep that just in my
1: chance at like a moderately well lit area at the same time as bars are getting let out. And there's potentially like cabs or Correct. people carpooling or walking. OK,
0: or drunk drivers.
1: Well, I was gonna just not go there. Yeah, we'll I was get gonna there. put out there that in a town of four thousand, let's hope that there's minimal drunk drivers.
0: I feel like there's usually more. I think so too, because you you know exactly what to do to get away with it. <laughs> yeah, you know the back roads. You know that there's not as much police presence in a tiny town. Like I feel like, unfortunately, uh, it happens a lot more in a super small town. Agreed. On the morning of September 29th, nineteen ninety six, so the day the next day. Celine awoke to the sound of Melanie's alarm going off. She got up to turn it off. Melanie's not in her room. She doesn't think too much of it because it's not really unusual for Melanie to stay over at a friend's house if she was there late. Okay. So she's just like, okay, turns the alarm off, goes back to bed. Melanie's grandparents came over at around 10 a.m. to celebrate her grandma's birthday. And, of course, Melanie was supposed to have baked the cake, but she still hadn't come home. So, I think that there's a little bit of worry going on at this point, but maybe at this point they're like, "Ah, oh, she's 15." Like,
1: mm.
0: but it just seemed like this was really important to her. So, you know, this is I think this is what I I also the- know that like when I commit
1: to doing something especially when it's a big part of a party, so to speak, like the cake,
0: that's rare for you to not show up, I think. Yeah, the Bells starts she going was off. kind
1: of family-oriented.
0: Yeah. So her grandma and her mom decide to go out and buy a birthday cake and also start calling around to see if anyone knows where Melanie is. Mm-hmm. When they find out that she actually left Ryan's to walk home, this is when they start getting really worried. And this worry only amplifies sure. <laughs> when Melanie didn't show up for her shift at the daycare, which is something she would never do without calling or yeah. providing a reason. So at this point... Celine calls the new list guard police detachment to report Melanie missing at 1 p.m. Okay, so we're 1 p.m. the next day. Yes. Okay. When Melanie was last seen, when she left Ryan's, she was wearing a green Nike windbreaker, a white t-shirt with a blue heart logo, blue jeans, and a black belt with a silver belt buckle, black boots with a short heel, her watch, and a necklace. She was 5'5 and weighed 120 pounds. Okay. I know Franklin tough life being her <laughs> it is noted that at the time of her disappearance Melanie did not have any mental illnesses that she was diagnosed with and she did not take any medication um, okay. friends who knew her also didn't think she was suffering from like any form of unknown condition okay the search for Melanie begins almost immediately after she was reported missing so police grasp pretty early on that melanie is not the kind of kid that like had any reason to leave town um would run away like they suspect foul play pretty much immediately especially when she
1: doesn't show up to work to a special event like those things are usually spaced apart and we're also talking about someone older but they have this sequence of events with someone younger that kind of indicates that like okay guys something's really wrong let's let's get our
0: uh yeah like shit together yeah so the local police detachment actually pretty quickly request assistance from the Ontario Provincial Police um, which we refer to as the OPP so I'm just going to use that term going forward and a search began around the Armstrong Bridge and along the banks of the Wabi River September 30th 1996 a helicopter from Sudbury was sent in for assistance as well as a police dog team from North Bay a search and rescue dog from the office of the fire marshal of ontario was also sent to expand the search around pine street oh wow so they're like really getting on it yeah they got all they're pulling out all the stops opp emergency search and rescue and an ontario hydro helicopter were also brought in for assistance on october 1st and there were over a dozen cops and volunteer firefighters canvassed across the town searching for melanie Police forces across Ontario were also alerted of the disappearance, and authorities conducted door-to-door canvases, but no actual homes were searched, because probable cause and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you don't have a good reason to go into someone's house, don't you can't. Like, use up your kind words with someone
0: unnecessarily. Correct. October 8th, 1996, an underwater search and rescue team began a search in the Wabi River between the Armstrong Bridge and, Temiskaming. Um The thought here was that, like, maybe she fell in or something, but uh, her mom said Melanie was a really strong swimmer, so it just didn't really make sense that she would have fallen in. I guess she could have been dumped, but it didn't make sense that she, like, lost her way and fell in and drowned. Like,
1: Yeah, if it's a small town, she's familiar with it, and she's not a weak swimmer nor did she seem that intoxicated i mean it's it's necessary to search yeah
0: it's necessary to search the water bays but
1: especially if they think that she was attacked along the way whether they know it or not they could also be looking for something else in the body or in the body water like something of hers that's thrown in the water or something that's been disposed of so
0: you never know yeah At some point as well, a Lockheed C-130 Hercules military transport aircraft was also used to search for Melanie. Um, I'm just trying to provide a good picture of, like, how many uh, resources were utilized. Not a single clue that we know of was ever recovered. Not a scent trail, not a piece of clothing, nothing. And I just find that so hard to believe. I know. And uh, according to Melanie's family, there may have been a single item recovered on day one and not made public, but officially there's been absolutely no evidence.
1: So. That's, like, me wondering, like, okay, does the family know something, or is that just, like, her being like, I think they might have recovered something on the first day, but I don't know. Yeah,
0: like, that's so vague still. Yeah. Ugh, okay. By mid October of 1996, Melanie's case was listed with Crime Stoppers, and the public was encouraged to phone tips in. Missing persons posters and billboards were pasted up around Northern Ontario, and one of them is really memorable. It's a huge sign, and it reads, You know what happened to me, so why don't you help? I love that. Yeah. By 2010, the OPP announced that it had received over 700 tips from 500 witnesses, and plan to investigate every single one. In 2020, they were still receiving two to three tips per day regarding Melanie's case. Okay, and sorry, what
1: year did this happen?
0: 1996.
1: That is bonkers. Isn't that crazy? I was just double-checking that I didn't have the year wrong, because that seemed like
0: a fart load. And I think we're just... Katie and I are just, like, surprised by that, because a lot of the time you hear with cases that are that old like nobody knows anything no tips are coming in anymore after like the first five years well, in the
1: area took place as well like yeah they're just it's not like you're reaching out to say toronto right and being like hey guys there's hundreds of thousands of you can you help us
0: that's almost like better though because in a small town everybody knows everything like somebody knows something true, about what happened I feel like
1: there's true but i feel like sometimes it's the person who knows nothing and they just say like oh i thought this was weird and then that's the tip they need so i don't know i guess there's pros and cons to both
0: yeah Hmm.
1: good food is canada's number one meal kit service that delivers right to your door good food makes cooking fun easy and affordable
0: they offer different meal plans to fit your needs like vegetarian, clean 15, easy prep, and the most popular basket, the classic basket.
1: Every recipe is packed with fresh produce that comes directly from farmers and with good food. You can skip the trip to the grocery store and have everything you need to make your
0: curated meals delivered straight to your door. Sign up for good food today using the code free podcast by proxy to get your first classic box for free. That's free podcast by proxy when creating your good food account to get a classic box on us. Hi friends, if you like what you hear and you want to get even more content from us, we're officially live on Patreon.
1: Patreon is a subscription service where you can get early access to our regular episodes, get bonus episodes, live Q&A sessions, and more. Visit the link in this episode description to learn more and sign up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at
0: Podcast by Proxy. Katie and I are so appreciative of every single one of you for being here with us. If you want to support us even more, don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Growing the show means we will be able to invest more time into bringing you more stories like the one you're hearing today. So, a little bit about the investigation. In early 1997, new Lisgard Police Sergeant Dwight Thebe and OPP Detective Constable Bill Deverall were assigned to work the case full time and started re-interviewing witnesses to ensure that nothing had been missed. To date, like we've talked about that guy before that Deverall guy. I feel like we've used his name in other stories. Uh, potentially he works with the OPP. We've covered some Ontario cases, and they pretty much have yeah. their hands in all of those crimes. So, for good reason. Yes. To date, hundreds of people have been interrogated as either suspects or persons of interest, Um, but of course, no arrests have ever been made. OPP Inspector Pete Burns took over in September 1997, and Sergeant Thebe returned to regular police duties in February 1998. The task force dedicated to searching for Melanie formally disbanded in 1998, uh, however, Thebe and Deverall continued working on the case until Deverell retired in 2002 and Thebe was transferred to the OPP in 2007. Now, the reason for this transfer was the OPP actually officially took over the law enforcement in what was now Temiskaming Shores in 2007. So there was no local yeah. police anymore. They just took over the law enforcement. So,
1: okay.
0: I don't know if like all the officers were transferred, but... Any that wanted to continue to work there would have had to move over. Make the transition. Okay. Makes sense. OPP Constable Jennifer Smith admits that some tips issued to the new list Guard police possibly got lost in the transfer. Um, possibly, I think, is... It's definitely probably. This is one of the biggest problems That's a with cover cases your ass that word. go... Yeah, it's just like, this is a problem... With cases that go cold for so long, the amount of times that they change hands, change departments, change new lead detectives. Like An in, issue. Information gets lost. Information gets slipped through the cracks and things like that. So that's a, a big, a hard part about cases that are this old.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: It's like the telephone game, you know. They're essentially mm-hmm. playing that with investigative <laughs>
1: techniques.
0: Oh, yeah. And like every time they mail it, it's like
1: one box gets lost. And it's like, okay, well... That's not helpful.
0: Yeah. Come on, guys. So one of those uh, eyewitness reports that potentially got lost through the cracks, um, there's an eyewitness that reports actually seeing Melanie cross the bridge the night that she disappeared. According to this witness, she and her husband were driving across the bridge when they saw, when they say they saw a black teenage girl walking south on the eastern sidewalk. No vehicles or other pedestrians were on the bridge at the time, and the woman recalled that her husband made some form of a remark like, quote, I didn't know there were black girls in New Liscard. It's sad that that's why they remember
1: seeing her, is because right. there was an interaction around it. Yeah. That's so sad, but I mean, I guess thankfully there was something that reminded them. It's a tip.
0: Yeah, so this woman remembered thinking that the girl looked too young to be walking by herself that late, and they didn't actually report this account until 1997 or 1998 when they saw her photo. However, this tip was not properly logged, and so it wasn't actually investigated until the police were notified of the eyewitness report in 2008. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. While this is not the only sighting of Melanie making it to the Armstrong Bridge, it sounds like there's been a few people who have reported seeing her on the bridge, meaning, like, that she actually made it to the bridge.
1: um, Okay, so we have kind of a
0: location timestamp-ish. Potentially. Okay. This tip specifically in 2008, for some reason, it led to a bunch of non-credible tips of people who alleged to have seen an abduction on the bridge that night. So, all of a sudden, people are like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing somebody get abducted. And it's like, do do you? you?" Because it's 2008 and you haven't said anything. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just people inserting themselves.
1: Sometimes I wonder, though, if those are like people that were the actual criminals, though, or like, okay, here's our chance to just like throw it off in an opposite direction. Sometimes.
0: I'm sure it is sometimes. Just saying. Another witness who lived just one street away from Pine Street came forward and told police that she was studying and heard screaming outside at around 1.45 a.m. on the 29th. And you didn't call? Okay. Apparently not. She said she ignored okay. it but heard screaming again and became scared. Uh, she checked the locks and snuck to her window where she said she saw three silhouettes of people running toward Pine Street. There were there's no vehicles or headlights, and her husband was asleep, so there's no witness to this sighting. <laughs> okay. So I have a
1: problem with you hearing the screaming once and not saying anything. I have a problem with you genuinely feeling scared a second time and still having not said anything. Yeah.
0: Now, there was a podcast called The Next Call that was released in two, uh, 2021 which covers the disappearance of Melanie Antier, and this podcast led another witness to come forward. This Love male that. was unknown to police before listening to the podcast, and the tip led them to their search of La Rock Field in North Cobalt, 10 kilometers from her last known location in October 2021. Yeah, because this is another one of the little, like, municipalities that got combined, wasn't yes, it? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. The OPP stated that all tips and information relating to Melanie's case are uploaded into PowerCase, which is a major case management system they have now that alerts detectives to similar details in other investigations. So it basically like links data from investigations and will like... So
1: like similar like weapons or like ammos. Exactly. Or locations Mm -hmm. or burial
0: sites. and Yeah. (gasps) I so then it'll that. like link it well, for them and tell them if anything no, might that. be related, which is really cool. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. Searches for Melanie have been conducted over the years from the tips that police have received. A search was conducted in April of 1999 that focused on the Dawson Point area to the east of New Lisgard, which had not been previously searched. In the summer of 2000, police were seen seizing materials from the landfill in McGarry as part of the Melanie Etier investigation. And as I just mentioned, a search for Melanie was conducted as recently as October of 2021. And in this instance, police combed the North Cobalt area of Temiskaming Shores. This search was carried out by members of the OPP crime unit, uh, an emergency response team, a canine unit, and a drone. I'm so annoyed to hear that, like, this
1: week, your case, and last week, my case, police were actually quite active in looking and trying, like, ground-penetrating radar, excavating stuff. Yeah. Yet, we still have literally nothing for either of these people.
0: The police or, in like, this Or, like, that case, family and this person. They were really active in terms of searching, and there's definitely questions surrounding the rest of the investigation in terms of um interviewing witnesses there were theories for a while that potentially the police were involved in a cover-up which is why they had you know kind of let so many things slip through the cracks tsk, tsk, guys I just feel like I can find a lot of information about them searching and I can't find a lot of information about them like actually investigating investigating, and heavily questioning people that should be questioned huh. and like it just feels like there was a lot of effort on the search part and less effort on the yeah talking investigation part.
1: Because that's but, I think what I'm basing it on is I'm feeling like, wow, they're really looking.
0: Yeah, and it feels like they are and like again, this... The police in this case have been so tight-lipped that, like, I don't have all the information. I only have what I can find. Um, But it just feels like there's definitely, especially with, like, local people, there's been criticism about feeling like the police didn't really investigate this as thoroughly as they should have.
1: Okay, good to know, because yeah. I also know in a small town, those people probably are know a lot more behind closed doors. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Okay. So, Melanie's mother, Céline, says that for the first two and a half years of searching for her daughter, she was numb, but after two decades, she believes in her heart that Melanie has passed. Her biggest worry is that information about what happened to Melanie will be taken to the grave by the person or persons responsible. After so long, I feel like that's a super valid concern, um, but the All status right. of Melanie's case does remain open by the OPP 26 years later, and they have stated it will remain open until they know what happened to Melanie.
1: I mean, I appreciate the commitment, guys, but I also wonder, like you said, are they covering it up and keeping it open Is just keeping
0: it sitting where it is with nothing happening?
1: Because they have control over it as long as it's
0: open. It's usually not the new police department. It's the OG police department. And then because it changes hands so many times and things get lost, the new police department is only working with what they've been given and what they've been told. Like, it's not usually the new police department 30 years later that is involved in the cover-up. Um, Yeah. It's a similar investigation or a similar problem, I would say, is um, like the Lisa Marie Young case. It's not the Nanaimo RCMP right now that are holding back information and, you know, being shady. It's them 20 years ago.
1: Yeah. It's a trickle
0: down effect, too.
1: You're also now like, how much can we say without losing the community's trust, too? Mm Yeah. Yeah it's a really awkward position i'm sure to be put in as the new people in charge looking at this information going like oh fuck
0: yeah so i'm gonna just uh we are we are gonna have a whole conversation about theories i kind of left that to the very end i just wanted to get through the bulk of the case and the information before we kind of like just go offshoot and talk about theories because like Again, there is no information released by police. So all theories are just that. They're theories. um, People have a tendency to take cases when there is no information released by police and run with it. And so in in a case like this, there are so many theories. So we're going to go over a few of them. But I just wanted to state, currently the government of the province of Ontario is offering a reward for $50,000 for information that leads to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for the disappearance of Melanie Etier. You can contact the Director of Criminal Investigation Services at the OPP at 1-888-310-1122 or 705-329-6331 locally or you can call anonymously at 1-800-222-8477, which is the Crime Stoppers number. So. Sure is. Theories. Are you going to tell me your theories first or we're going to talk theories first? None of them are mine. We're just going to... I'm just going to go through them all. I'll tell you... Oh, and we'll chit-chat. About, okay. Call kind of like Hit all me. the main ones and then I'm just going to let you... me with your you, best shot here, lady. Yeah. So... I am, I'm not going to go through them all because there's just a few that don't have any legs at all. Like, Yeah, I don't want the hubbub like no, she was just, abducted by aliens. Yeah, like, I don't know. But okay, so local suspects. The friends that Melanie was with the night she disappeared were all cleared as suspects like pretty early on in the investigation. Melanie's boyfriend at the time, Neil Fordier, actually took a polygraph test and passed. And the other two, Ryan and Jay, volunteered, but they were never asked to take one.
1: Okay. I honestly wasn't ever really that concerned that it was her friends. I feel like I usually get a gut feeling when I think it's, like, they have shit friends and they could have done it. But this just does sound like a
0: casual hangout with their friends. The police were really hard on the boys at the beginning, though. I don't blame them. They like really. Too. I thought it was the
1: boys at first, too, when you started telling me the story.
0: Yeah, they really went at them, and actually one of the boys' dads had to, like, threaten them and be like, if you question him without us present, like... I'll take it to court one more fucking time because they sure were because they, they were underage yeah yeah of course so no, they were I really would hard be on them too if I was their parents but uh yeah they were all cleared and like there's no real thought that they were involved at all
1: yeah I, it doesn't it doesn't feel that way. I mean, again, I could be Mm. wrong. They're teenage boys. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't think that when you were telling me that either, after you got through like what they were doing and the interaction with like, you can't, you can't party movie here. You got to watch your little rental over there instead. Yeah. But
0: okay. Theory number two, according to locals, however, there were white supremacist groups active in the Temiskaming area in the nineties. Um, Melanie's disappearance was considered likely a hate crime in the early days of the investigation. I'm not sure how much I don't think they so. think it's that now, but I did mention earlier that Melanie was one of only three black girls in New List Guard, and following her disappearance, the other girls were actually placed under police surveillance in case they were targeted next, which of course never happened.
1: I appreciate that from the police because yes. I feel like they don't protect people of color enough. However, I do think that white supremacist groups specifically tend to put what they do on display because that's their kind of M.O. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's
0: nothing about this. Mm -hmm. So I that's not my gut feeling either. Yeah. So in an interview for the investigative podcast, The Next Call, um, which anybody who's interested in this case, I highly recommend listening to it. One of the men who had been with Melanie that night um, described New Liscard as a, quote, discriminatory old hick town and recalled instances of homophobic harassment against a local teenager from around the time of the disappearance.
1: Okay. And I, I don't know if I asked this earlier. Actually, I don't think I did. Do we know what ethnicity her friends are? Are they all Caucasian then? Yeah. Okay. And Not another, that it matters but i just no. wondered if someone maybe they had an interaction but likely wouldn't have happened if it was three white kids and a black kid whereas if it was a group of black kids they could have potentially had a run in with someone
0: i agree before. with you though in the sense that hate crimes are often put on display like yeah like, homophobic I hate crime but like lynchings, yes like they're like it's that a, are very much it's a it's a, yeah. it's a display like look what i did
1: so yeah, i yeah that's just my gut feeling and that's disgusting to say
0: because those are those are our people yeah great in another interview yeah. for the same podcast melanie's younger sister jesse describes how she had to change schools often to get away from racist abuse before she finally switched to homeschooling um and she eventually moved to southern ontario to avoid having to raise her own kids in an environment like that but yeah. that's kind yeah. of it for like the race factor Another theory is that Melanie was potentially killed by a drunk driver. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, after May of 1996, bars in Ontario were able to remain open until 2 a.m. And bars in Quebec could stay open until 3 a.m. They sure can. Could. Is that still a thing?
1: I don't think so. Getting wild maybe over there. Maybe in some areas. Quebec. like Maybe in like old Montreal. So it's kind of like a party area. Maybe. I don't know. I I think the liquor laws, like, are 2 a.m. in general. Like, I think it's to do with your liquor laws, not your location.
0: So I mentioned that there's a bar on Armstrong Street. It was called Docks. Yeah. And. Was this, like, the place to be Um, on the weekend? I'm not sure. I mean, it's probably one of the only bars in town. It's this, like, tiny little town, but. Basically, witnesses who were in docks that night did submit tips to investigators stating that they saw an intoxicated person leave the bar early in order to try and reach a bar across the provincial border before last call. The so across the bridge. Correct. The theory okay. is that one of these drivers may have struck Melanie with their car. Um, the 1999 Search of Dawson yeah. Point was sparked by a tip sent to police alleging that Melanie had been hit by a drunk driver.
1: I mean, I would say that's the more likely option just in the sense that like we have seen where people get hit by a car and killed and there's like pretty much like no blood whatsoever Mm -hmm. because there's internal injuries. And so someone could have actually hit her with the car and been like, oh shit, panicked, drunk and put her in the trunk of their car and just fucked off a bit and dumped her body.
0: Yeah, so this tipster said that, exactly that, the personal the person who was responsible was driving with a suspended license had only recently been let out of jail and in a panic loaded her body into their trunk and buried her at Dawson's Point. Now, police investigated the site in 1999 and no remains were found. Um, in 2000, police, of course, retrieved those materials from the landfill in McGarry Township while investigating a rumor suggesting that a group of teens from another town were responsible for her disappearance and that of course turned up nothing i
1: actually wondered that like if maybe she was walking home and like other teens saw her and were like hey how's it going and just like lured her away
0: yeah so there's so, a couple more though okay i've i've really ordered these on your face i've really ordered these in order of like least likely to most likely oh okay i'm getting a countdown as well sort of okay so the next so what's your least likely well the least likely was race motivated okay right and then we have drunk driver now which i agree is going up the list we're moving into this one i just put as number two before the last one because i just think it's kind of a a wild theory on all accounts but uh, crazy but you think it could be true if you put it at number two potentially okay there There is is a theory that melanie was killed because she was mistaken for someone else now (laughs) i know that this sounds silly however makes sense to make her disappear though being like oh shit one of the other black girls in town now remember there's only three it, her name was Sarah, and I guess she had told one of her friends on September 27th that she owed money to a local drug dealer and mm. was afraid for her life.
1: Oh no, so they could have seen this girl out late at night, walking across the bridge and just seen a darker complexion. And
0: <gasps> Apparently Sarah and Melanie were thought to look alike and were often confused for each other in the community. And well, Sarah of course they also would say that, they're three black girls. She lived on Pine Street. At the time this happened. I'm going with this theory so far as well. The drug dealers that she was afraid of were also involved in a murder in April of 1996. Mm. And I actually might tell that story in a couple weeks because as I was researching this, I was like, this is wild. Um, Bananas. So... There's that theory, which, again, I I think I'm just going to have to tell the whole story because there's so much involved in that that makes it be like, wow, maybe. We do. Because, yeah, that sounds
1: bonkers, and it actually sounds like something that could be plausible. And like I said, people are racist as shit. They're going to be like, oh, she looks like the other black girl in town. Of course you're going to say that if there's only three of them. That's a racist
0: thing to say. But in true bloodbath fashion. But wait, there's more. Oh gosh! There also just happened to be another Melanie Etier that was a oh, year older, six. that lived in the same town. Is that the third black girl? Like, no, this girl was white. Her name is Melanie Louise Etier. I'm assuming Etier is maybe just a common last name in this area. It is. It's and, a common French last name, and the border Quebecs. So. And her family happened to be related. To that April 1996 murder victim. For a long time, people thought... So either
1: it could have been a hit on that white girl's family, or it could have been mistaken identity trying to kill one of the other two, you know, Correct. another 33% of the black population yeah. in this town. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so annoyed at these theories because, like, I honestly think it's just... I agree with you. I think it was, like, the wrong person. Yeah, Although I don't necessarily think it was the white girl. I think it's more likely that it was the black girl.
0: Yeah, so that was kind of the thing. It was like how would a black girl be mistaken for a white girl? The theory was that potentially they were just looking for somebody with that name and like if somebody was like hired to to kill her or whatever, like they wouldn't know, yeah. but that one seems a little bit more far-fetched and Yeah. Investigators and people close to both of the girls deny this theory and say it's unlikely, but I just feel like it's worth putting out there because it's a really crazy amount of coincidences
1: yeah but is it unlikely because they don't want to start like putting out other people's names if it's dangerous or are they just saying that because they truly believe it so i would still think it should be looked into with every bit of validity that every other thing does
0: yeah so the last theory is kind of a long one um i i I got a little bit carried away with this um aliens but i feel like this personally to me is the most likely um there is a man, he, has, he passed away in 2016, and his name was Dennis Lavelle. Now, Dennis was in a long-time relationship with Sylvie, who, if you remember, was best friends with Melanie's mom, Celine, and Melanie had visited yeah. that house the morning before she went missing. Yeah, yeah. On the weekend, Melanie disappeared... Dennis told Sylvie that he was going out of town fishing with his brother Andre, his stepson Jason, and Jason's friend Joel. Dennis returned home on the Sunday, and he later admitted that this story was a lie, and that they had actually attended a motocross race in North Bay that Saturday. He. Mm -hmm. Then told Sylvie that the other guys had gone home earlier and that he went to the bar alone that night, arriving home between midnight and 4 a.m. Did he go to Doc's? I have no idea. Because if he was at Doc's. Legit. So there's that. And keep in mind. he. Well, that would
1: make sense why there's no like evidence of her either. Because what if he just saw her walking and
0: was like, hey, do you want a ride? And she just hopped in the car. Because people have said there's no way that Melanie would have gotten in the car with a stranger, but he was not a stranger.
1: Yeah, he's just a mm-hmm. local guy that you know. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Now,
0: keep in mind, he didn't admit to the story about fishing being a lie until, like, years and years and years later, but it's still worth it to note. So, on the I'm afternoon... Lie, on the afternoon, just this, this guy just keeps getting worse, though, so... On the afternoon of the 29th, after Melanie was reported missing, Dennis like went out of his way to tell several neighbors that he was assisting with the search for her and even borrowed a friend's dog to offer its services to police. Investigators
1: (laughs) confirmed that this is true. That would be like me taking Frankie there and be like, I'm here to offer her services. They'd be like, what are they? I'd be like, I don't know, but we're about to find out. Like if that isn't inserting yourself into an investigation, no, and also being like over the top about like I'm helping. I'm this is so tragic. Oh no, yeah, and And, like reaching out to many people so they can all vouch for like oh no, it couldn't have been him. He helped in the search.
0: Yeah, so if that's not weird enough, the day after Melanie is reported missing, I mean it is, but I'll take more. Dennis comes over to the ETA home. And then just, like, walked in the basement and lit a cigarette. And Melanie's grandmother was there and thought this was really weird because, like, he had never been down there before and Celine does not allow smoking in their home. Yeah, like, why are you smoking in my house? Ew, get the fuck out. And then, three days later, into the investigation, Dennis commented to Melanie's grandmother that the person who harmed Melanie would have had to be very strong as she was capable of defending herself and then shows her these deep nail marks on his arms. He told her that these were from yes. Melanie when they were play fighting.
1: Oh my god, he's like rubbing it in that he knows what happened to her.
0: It yeah, seems. so of oh, course Selene so becomes super suspicious of Dennis because according to him, he was out of town the day that she was at their house. So how would he have how would they have been play fighting?
1: Yeah, and if it was any earlier than that they shouldn't look like that anymore they shouldn't be that visible
0: yeah so celine basically distanced herself from dennis over her suspicions of his involvement but on two occasions he apparently called celine while in a hotel room threatening suicide and both of these times celine believed he was prepared to make a confession about his role in the case, but he didn't it's almost like it was eating away at him like why would you call someone
1: who you think you're potentially accused of like hurting their kid mm-hmm. and then when you're on like the brink of death potentially or like giving up, you call her that seems like you have something
0: to say and you're chickening out So I agree yeah other people who knew Dennis also voiced their own concerns about the scratches on his arm which apparently extended from his wrist to his elbow and Sylvie actually recalls so like how... if you were attacking someone where they would okay. Yep.
1: People. Sylvie,
0: uh, she also said that he showed her the marks on the afternoon after Melanie disappeared and he also told what? her that they were made while the two were play fighting. And she what? also was like, I don't understand when you would have been able to do that.
1: To play fight with my teenage... Why would you have been play fighting with my teenage daughter to begin with?
0: Yeah. And then, later that day, Dennis told his neighbors that the marks were from him brushing up against the branches while looking for Melanie in the woods like this guy's just going out of his way to be like hey look at these scratches on my marks want to know how I got them yeah like don't worry guys they're all for good reasons
1: like we were just playing oh I was just searching this yeah. is disgusting so I'm the weird
0: the sky, part about yeah. this is that like he was never spoken to by police Like, Sylvie stated police only spoke to her about Melanie's disappearance one time, like, months after, and never spoke to Dennis while he was alive. And this is why I said, it's great that you do all these physical searches, but, like, this guy clearly should have been questioned. Why wasn't he? he
1: looked the part, so you just let it go? Yeah. You just negated all these tips that were coming in. Okay, I get what you mean now.
0: Yeah, so... A little bit about Dennis, just so it doesn't seem like we're just, you know, blaming some guy that's not even here to defend himself for no reason. Dennis was sexually abused throughout his childhood and he had a long history of making sexual advances against minors in his adult life. Uh, Dennis had spent several months in prison for drugging and sexually abusing one of his nieces and Sylvie's daughter Stephanie was quoted saying it was quote very apparent he was a sexual predator for underage girls oh
1: gross
0: yeah a friend later told police that once Dennis had spotted a black girl in town and said that he had an affinity for black chocolate oh he just did some, like, really, really inappropriate stuff over the years. Like, on one occasion in the year 2000, he followed one of Stephanie's friends into the sunroom of their house and told her he would like to make her experience an orgasm.
1: Like, I get that there's some people that are just, like, not quite right in the head, and these kind of comments can be made, and they don't mean anything. Yeah. Because, like, sometimes sexual comments are what comes out in, like, forms of, like, even, like, Tourette's and stuff. hmm So, I think that there's ways that this could have been explained. But the way he's doing it, the way he's going about it, and how consistently and weird it is, I,
0: no, it's too much. Well, he and was, he was thrown in jail a couple of times for, like, sexually assaulting minor.
1: Okay. Yeah. Buddy, you can just stay there, please.
0: Yeah. So, there's <gasps> just, you know...
1: A lot there. Okay. There's more than a lot I there. mean, he was There's charged a... with
0: criminal offenses at least three times. Once in 2006 for failing to comply with orders not to associate or communicate with several people. In 2012 for making death threats, um, committing assault with a vehicle, possessing an illegal taser, violating the terms of his parole. In 2013, oh he was charged with sexual interference with someone under the age of 16. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and so where is this guy now, he, other than dead? Well, he died in 2016. But did he die in jail? No, so I'll get there. Oh. While he was in prison, he was visited by Celine, who directly asked him about his involvement in Melanie's case, but he said he could never hurt Melanie and suggested that she was murdered by the same man who planned the April 1996 murder. So he's kind of just like taken it back to this guy. Okay. After his release, Celine again tried to make contact with Dennis, um, but he actually suffered a debilitating stroke the evening before she planned to confront him, which paralyzed him down one side of his body and limited his ability to vocalize. Yeah. According to his family, the stress around having to speak with Celine and the police may have caused such serious stress that that it triggered a stroke. Um, Yeah. And it was... I wouldn't doubt it. It was in the hours, four hours before this stroke, that he approached his daughter Stephanie and asked him to speak, asked her to speak for him when he spoke to Celine and the police, and also confessed to lying about his alibi that weekend. Four hours <sighs> before he had the stroke is when this all came out.
1: So like it's like everything hit him and the stress and he just like. Bleh. Two weeks oh later, God.
0: he passed away at age fifty one. Oh my God, he did it! So he did it. Yeah, Celine maintains that she considers Dennis the prime suspect in uh, Melanie's disappearance and doesn't believe that police made an appropriate effort to investigate him while he was alive. She stated, mm. "Police. Uh, oh, this is again when I said like Sylvie stated that police only spoke to her once and never spoke to Dennis." Police only began speaking to Dennis's daughter, Stephanie, in spring 2021 and have never spoken to his stepson, Jason, despite him being part of his alibi for the weekend Melanie disappeared.
1: What the fuck?
0: In a 2021, oh my God, that's so messed up. yeah, and then so just my last comment on this whole entire shivakle. Yeah. In a
1: 2021
0: interview, Sylvie, who was Dennis's like longtime partner, stated that she agreed with Celine that Dennis is responsible for what happened to Melanie. Yeah. Um, police also state that they investigated Dennis before his death, but have offered no further comment. Of course. Not.
1: And, and that's, I like the OPP. That's it. <laughs> Uh, okay, so this is, I'm very sorry, people, that we've given you two unsolved cases in a week, in a month, back-to-back. Back. We're really teasing you here.
0: Well, I mentioned it last week. I've been really gravitating towards these unsolved cases because they do, they really need our attention. They need Yeah. to be kept in the public's eye. They need us to keep talking about them. Um, we need to make people uncomfortable, so... Get comfortable with being
1: uncomfortable. I will people. I will
0: bring a solved one next, though. I think I am. Um, I have, like, a laundry list of case suggestions so from now, all actually. of you beautiful people. And thank you so much. Keep them coming. Like, you're making sure that I can keep this podcast going for years to come um, with yes, content. And I appreciate but...
1: whoever reached out the other day. I'm sorry. I don't have your name off the top of my head, but... Someone reached out specifically with a lot of like East Coast cases, which I love because those aren't something that we necessarily would just know off the top of our heads. Yes. So I really appreciate those as well. So if you're from anywhere outside of BC, like please send us whatever the big case you remember or something that sticks out in your mind because I would love to get some more other provinces because I find that sometimes BC can be a little bit of a lean on for me. Because I'll just see something that's happening local to me. And I'm like, oh, that's crazy.
0: And we've talked about it before. BC has the highest rate of missing persons in the country. So it's natural that we We live here. And we are intrigued by those stories and gravitate to them. But absolutely, we're a Canadian true crime podcast, not a British Columbia true crime podcast. So um, (laughs) we uh, it our way. We take suggestions from across the country. Um, and again, if you've made it this far, thank you so much. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review on Apple and Spotify. It is free and takes you two seconds, and it means more to us than you know and really keeps the show going. So, um, yeah, we really appreciate it when you review, and we're always reading your suggestions. And with that, thank you for joining us for The Disappearance of Melly Etier. I really hope this case can be solved one day, but it's hard when... One of the biggest suspects was potentially not properly investigated and has now passed away. Um, and there's not much
1: evidence. Like that's also a tough one. If we don't have the person, we don't also have evidence to look at.
0: It's a really difficult situation. Yeah, it's not like we could genetic genealogy any of this because there's nothing to test.
1: <laughs> I like how you were like genetic genealogy this.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have any other words. <laughs>
1: Oh, my goodness. No, I loved it, though, because I agree. I think we need to make sure these cases stay in, like, a forefront or in people's minds, because as much as the other ones are interesting in a morbid way, they have the answers. Mm -hmm. Whereas these people's families still deserve the answers. And that can also be in the sense of, if this suspect wasn't the one who did it, also clearing his name to his family, because those... Are swirling there so it's an all-round we just deserve to give closure to everybody involved in this including the police department yep
0: mostly her mom and her family though all right well that's it i'll see you later katie's coming over today so check instagram for some good content i'm sure we'll have some i also took new updated pictures of all my plants of course you did add them to my instagram Can be our joint plant Instagram. (laughs) Plant Instagram. Plant Instagram. Okay, bye. Instagram. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. (gasps) Okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. (laughs) Okay.